Hi, everybody. Welcome to another edition of Ice the Kicker. I am Glenn DeNegris, alongside, as always, with Matt Ferrara. Week 7 in the NFL is over, and it finished on Sunday night with an absolutely incredible game between the Seattle Seahawks and the Arizona Cardinals going back and forth, multiple lead changes, going into overtime, a missed field goal in overtime, gave um, Russell Wilson the ball. And Matt, when I saw that, I was like, oh, Seattle's going to win. It's over. And then Seattle mm-hmm. couldn't get it done. And then right down the field, Arizona went, and then the kicker redeemed themselves and kicked a game-winning field goal. And now Arizona, only a half game back of Seattle in first place for the NFC West. It's very it's very uh, coincidental that the game is right ab- above your shoulder that we were yeah. just talking about. We did not plan that. So Seattle's 5-1. <laughs> and one. Arizona's 5-2. and two. The Rams are 5-2 and two after winning Monday night against uh, Chicago. And then San Francisco is four and three after beating the Patriots, just destroyed them 33 to nine. I believe the score was and Cam Newton didn't look good. Mm-hmm. And we're going to get into that later. We also have a mailbag, a few questions from and really the division as a whole, really the anti NFC East. Every team is good. Every team can win the division, make the playoffs and, you know, make noise into January and February and with the expanded playoffs, it's conceivable that all four teams in the division can make the playoffs at the same time, which mm-hmm. is which would obviously be um, unheard of with the um, expanded playoffs. So, Matt, thoughts on this game in particular and thoughts on who your favorite team is in this division in terms of who do you think is the most dangerous? Yeah, I, I thought the game was just awesome. Like you said, lead changes back to back. We had missed field goals and then you had – Russell Wilson with the ball to to win the game. And I'm like, all right, guaranteed over. Then he throws a pick to Isaiah Simmons. And I was just blown away that the Cardinals were able to kind of rally back and then contain Russell Wilson for the most part. Like it was awesome on their end to to do what they did. And then yeah, you shut down an absolutely red hot Russell Wilson. I mean, you look at the whole division, like you have the Niners at four and three, and they're fourth and every team in that division is, is trending upwards. Even the Seahawks with their, again, they obviously lost, but every team in the division is smoking hot right now. So that is a scary, scary division to be facing. If you're any other opposing team in the NFL. And as far as who my pick to win that division still is, I'm still going to go with the Seahawks, but as far as the, the Super Bowl is concerned, I don't know if the Seahawks defense is going to be able to do anything come the playoffs. It, It really gets me nervous. And I think Trent Dilfer was talking about this on one of the radio shows saying how, listen, if you ask Russell Wilson to bail you out 10, 15, maybe 20 times, that's one thing. But they're asking to, they're asking him to bail the team out 35 times a game, something crazy. So I think it's going to be pretty interesting to see if Russell Wilson basically can carry this whole team on his back because it is solely him. The defense has done him nothing. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And when you get into the playoffs, because I agree with you, I think Seattle's the best team in the division. But, and I think they're going to win a division, but, you know, there's going to be multiple teams in this, in this division that make the playoffs. And you also have to go up against, you know, Aaron Rodgers, who's having like an absolutely resurgent year, not, mm-hmm. not even just him as a whole, but the entire team, the entire roster in general is just having a great season. You have to go against Tom Brady, who seems to be really clicking now in Tampa Bay as we get into the mid part of the season. He's gotten over the hump of not having a training camp and being and learning a new playbook and a new roster and a new uh, community in Tampa Bay. So he's starting to figure out. And yeah, obviously there's no no one no one's gonna scare you in the NFC East, but there's still a lot yeah. of teams that can scare you if you're a Seattle Seahawk. And I think this game, while it might not be a kind of 
a heart. It is a heartbreaking game every time you, anytime you lose an overtime on a field goal and you threw a pick, you had a chance to win. That's heartbreaking, mm-hmm. but it's not like a, I guess, for a back of a letter phrase, a backbreaking loss. Then their yeah, season's not, not over because of this yeah, loss. Yeah, season but, but it doesn't. But what it does expose is the weaknesses on this roster. I think Seattle mm-hmm. was flying high going in undefeated, thinking they were the best team in the league. And, you know, when you're undefeated, you have the right to think that. But mm-hmm. I think this could be a good kind of learning experience for this Seattle Seahawks team to say, hey, if we don't play our best football, we could lose. And yeah. Kyler Murray and the Cardinals showed up um, at home under the bright lights and the national audience, and they beat the Seattle Seahawks fair and square. And I think that kind of punched Seattle in the mouth a little bit. So I'd be interested to see how they bounce back from that. Um, obviously, Pete Carroll, Russell Wilson, they're champions, they're winners, mm-hmm. they're going to be fine. But it just show, goes to show, kind of like what we saw with the Packers last week, that on that any given Sunday, you could lose. And I think yeah. that Seattle has a lot of things they need to mop up, especially on the defensive side, because, you know, as much as I like Kyler Murray and I like the, the Cardinals, what they did can be done. If they can do what they did against Seattle, Aaron mm-hmm. Rodgers and Tom Brady can do twice as much damage. Yeah, and and luckily with the, the Seahawks, you saw them this morning make a trade for Carlos Dunlap of uh, the Bengals, a defensive end. So you'll get a little more help in the pass rush area there. But I still that might be a nice little band-aid for the time being. Hopefully it works out. But I still think they really need to reassess their – kind of game plan and strategy going forward in the offseason in the draft with all right we need a defense your offense is firing on all cylinders now we need to figure out how to stop these these teams from scoring 30 points a game because that that's not a recipe for success there now is it there is there are they not getting enough pressure on the quarterback or is their secondary not doing well like what what's because you know for so long seattle's mm-hmm. pride itself on defense remember yeah. the legion of boom back Mm-hmm. in their you know championship days when they went to back into back Super Bowls. So is it their pass rush or is it their secondary that's been letting them down? So obviously this might be a, maybe a cop-out answer, but I think it's everything. So I think when you have a good secondary who can block guys at, at the point of, uh, of attack there and you kind of press up in their face, that good coverage allows for uh, the quarterback to hold the ball a little longer than the defense can get some sacks. But w- with that said too, if there's no pressure on the quarterback, then the obviously the de- defensive backs are going to get exposed because you can't really hold on to a guy or, or cover a guy for five, six, seven seconds. So I think they both kind of go hand in hand and, and neither side of the ball or of the defense, we can say, is doing what they need to do. I still think a lot of it stems from uh, the pass rush there. I mean, you look at the Patriots, they always seem to be uh, – pressuring quarterbacks and stuff like that, which allows their defense to always be good. Obviously not right now, but in years past. And then you look at when they had the Legion of Boom. Yeah, you still had Richard Sherman and Cam Chancellor. They were good coverage guys, but they just put pressure on quarterbacks. So if you can do that, that kind of allows the game to, to – it eases it up for the defensive backs and can maybe cover up some of their faults that they may have in a coverage aspect. Kyler Murray probably had his best game as a pro on Sunday night. Went mm-hmm. 34 for 48, 360 yards passing, three touchdowns and a pick. Also ran for 67 yards and a touchdown. So that's four touchdowns. Uh, on him alone. 
DeAndre mm-hmm. Hopkins, 10 receptions, 130 yards. Chase Edmonds, seven receptions for 87. Just just be able to spread it out so much tells me that, you know, as you said, both you're not getting enough pressure allowing Kyler to just dance around in the pocket. You know, the secondary can't hold guys forever. Eventually someone's going to break loose. And that seemed to have happened, you know, time and time again on Sunday night. So that's definitely mm-hmm. something that you got to be worried about if you're Seattle. But at the same time, if you flip the coin, you got to give credit to Arizona. Um, oh, they're they're a very they're a very good team at five and two. I don't think every mm-hmm. any, I don't think anyone really expected them to kind of make this step so quickly. Maybe they, people thought it'd be another year after this, mm-hmm. but they're here to stay right now. And I think that's a a um a vote of confidence to the organization and a vote of confidence to Kyler Murray. I mean, they made that quick hook on Josh Rosen and they said, mm-hmm. no, we're going to take this kid instead. And year two, it's really worked out. Yeah. And even same thing with Cliff Klingsbury being a second year head coach. And then it's just, they have a good thing going right now. And I think, like you said, if you're a Cardinals fan, you're definitely excited with the direction of the team, even if it doesn't happen this year and you don't dethrone the Seahawks, you're still trending in the right direction. And that's in a very competitive division too. So Tip of the cap to the Arizona Cardinals. Yeah, it's definitely it's definitely good for them because, you know, you have Seattle who's always there, right? Yeah. And then, you know, the last three years, if it's not Seattle, uh, Los Angeles was in the Super Bowl and mm-hmm. San Francisco was in the Super Bowl last year. So if you're the organization of the Arizona Cardinals, you could have easily stepped back and say, you know what, let's full on tear this down and yeah. wait for those teams to come back to earth and then we'll – do it the long way and then we'll come up mm-hmm. as they're coming down. They said, no, we want to compete with these guys now. And that's exactly what they're doing. It's a hard division. It's the best division yeah. in football. Seattle's has a championship pedigree. Obviously, as I said, the Niners were in the Super Bowl last year. The, the Rams were in the Super Bowl two, three years ago. So all of these teams, you can make the case can do something when they get to January because they have before. And yeah. another like statement game, I feel that happened on Sunday was the Niners and the Patriots. And that mm-hmm. can get us into that mailbag press question when we move forward towards talking about the Patriots, but sticking with the 49ers for now, you know, Jimmy G 20 of 25, 277 yards, his return to new England, you know, he had to have some sort of, you know, extra motivation going into Foxborough, yeah. seeing Bill Belichick who orchestrated the trade, maybe not mm-hmm. him orchestrating the trade. I think the rumor is he, he wanted jimmy to replace tom brady yeah but you know the organization traded jimmy g away because they chose a you know a quarterback 15 years older than him mm-hmm. over him and now one franchise is struggling with that decision and another one is prospering they were in the super bowl last year and they're making a playoff push again this year mm-hmm. so it's to, to see these stats and you look at the patriots defense let up 467 yards that is very mm-hmm. un-Belichick-esque. And now we're going on back-to-back weeks where they're not doing good right now. And I think the Patriots are, are at a very weird point in that we're always trusting Belichick to kind of save his team and then whole, whole kind of scheme up a, a good defense. You know, he doesn't really need the best guys and stuff like that. But I think now we're really seeing that all the, the players that sat out for the Patriots defense because of COVID are really starting to hurt him. Because, I mean – to let up 197 rushing yards, I, I I don't know off the top of my head, obviously, but when was the last time that's been done to the Patriots, where a team has literally just ran yeah. it down their throat? So I mean, it it's it's I think Patriots fans need to be kind of alarmed with what's going on. And then Niners fans, obviously, you had a terrible loss to the Dolphins, but since then they've been red hot. 
So they've completely just brushed that loss off, and they've just been been really good ever since, and they're kind of just riding that wave right now. Yeah, I think what happened with the 49ers, remember, like, early in the year, they had nobody. Everyone was hurt. Yeah. Remember mm-hmm. they played the Giants? Even though they destroyed yeah. the Giants, they had literally everybody nobody. you could yeah. possibly think of was not playing in that game. So it mm-hmm. took them a while to get healthy again. And now that they are healthy, where they're really starting to look like that team from last year that made it to the Super Bowl and probably should have mm-hmm. won the Super Bowl if, you know, they didn't choke at the end and yeah. Mahomes didn't do what he did. So if you're a Patriots fan and you're watching that game and you and you know that Brady left and you know that the year before Garoppolo made it to the Super Bowl, you have to be really kind of You'll never second guess because you have to be like aware and appreciative of what you had for 20 years with Tom Brady. Mm -hmm. But in terms of the now and the present, you have to be a little kind of upset that Garoppolo isn't playing for you. And instead you have a Cam Newton guy who is, who looks completely washed. Um, So watching that game, if you're a Patriots fan, you have to be really frustrated that you seemingly had the guy that was just going to slide in after Brady and mm-hmm. be great. And this dynasty could have lasted another 10 years with him just taking over for it. Kind of like mm-hmm. how Elway replaced, um, how'd it go? Young, young replaced Elway. Yeah. Kind of like how that just oh, like Mon- seamlessly. Montana. 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 Steve young yeah, replaced yeah. Montana. Yeah. 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 Steve Young replaced Montana. I'm sorry. I got my quarterbacks mm-hmm. confused. And it's just like a seamless transition. And the of team course, never yeah. faltered after that. Mm-hmm. That could have been what happened in New England. And mm-hmm. unfortunately, um, the Patriots were put in a position where they had to choose between one or the other, and they chose the older guy, and that's hurting them now because mm-hmm. Brady's gone. Yeah, it, it's again, it's just a very weird situation because through the first three, four weeks, Patriots were were all were Super Bowl contenders. They figured it out. Cam Newton's getting the biggest extension of his lifetime, and now it's like, oh shit, what are we're two and four? We're third in the AFC East, only above the, the the worst team in the history of football, the New York Jets. And it's like I, I don't think they know really kind of what to do. It almost seems like you you go down one more loss, you go to two and five, two and six, even. I mean, I'd have to say the season's probably over with with who who else is really good in the AFC. I don't think you're even getting that extra wild card spot with pending that there might be three teams from the AFC North with the Browns, uh, Browns, Steelers, and Ravens. So. They're at a very kind of weird point in, in their uh, in their season right now, and part of me isn't necessarily surprised though because take away Bill Belichick and you just look at the construction of the roster again. They didn't really have anything that crazy, and then you add in the the COVID sit out, same thing. They lost a ton of guys, and I remember a lot of people early on were like, "Yeah, like we still trust in Belichick to kind of lead them to the playoffs and stuff," but. When you look at their team, like they don't really look like a playoff team on paper, and now you clearly see they're not playing like a playoff team. So part of me isn't really too surprised that the Patriots are in somewhat of a rebuild kind of year. I mean, they tr- they traded away a few guys, or they lost a bunch of guys through free agency. They uh, accumulated a lot of picks throughout the last year or two, and they also dumped a lot of salary. So going into 2021, that's a scary team uh, right now to look at from a free agency and draft standpoint, because you're going to give Belichick probably 10 plus picks. And I think it's like 80 to $90 million in cap space. So I'm encouraged to see how they do it. I don't think 2020, 2020 is going to be their year though. Yeah. You took the words right out of my mouth. Um, at the end of the game, they had Belichick at the podium and they were, they asked him about Cam Newton. They're like, are you going to make a change at quarterback? And he said, no, he basically said, no, Cam's our guy. Mm-hmm. And that 
I feel like was a smart thing to say, because even if you put in Stidham to try to like wake things up, how much better is this team going to get with Jared Stidham at yeah. under center than mm-hmm. Cam Noon? I don't think it's going to get better. No. I don't so, think so either. you ride out Cam, you don't embarrass the guy. You don't embarrass him by, you know, benching him and, you know, ruin his, you know, chances of getting a backup job somewhere next year. And you just ride it out this year and say you wave the white flag, so to speak. I know that's hard for Patriots fans to accept because they're Mm -hmm. so used to winning. But it's top 10, top 15, you know, maybe even top five if they completely bottom out. And you just Mm -hmm. rebuild it. And this is a chance for New England because, as you said, so many opt-outs. And they still have talent coming in next year with all the free agency in the draft class to be a quick one-year rebuild. And then mm-hmm. you start again trying to build back up for the division because as great as you know Josh Allen has been and the Bills have and the Bills have been this year, um, and as good as you know things are looking for the Dolphins, they seem to finally have the quarterback. We'll see this week. Mm-hmm. It's not a insurmountable uh, deficit that they faced in terms of talent for this division. So one year, this year being kind of like the wash. Next year, it wouldn't surprise me at all if they were right back on top of the AFC East. No, I, I, I 100% think so, because you're going to get those guys that they lost. I mean, a couple of guys they lost, or Pat Chung, he's one of their key guys on defense. Uh, Hightower, the linebacker, he's one of the best linebackers in football. So, I mean, you lost two, two of your best guys on defense. Obviously, you're not going to be that good. So, you get them back next year, and then, again, you get all these draft picks and you get guys under another year of Belichick. I think the biggest thing is going to be the quarterback. And while we're on the topic of Cam Newton, he was a guy that I, I was not high on at all. And I Neither remember I. saying a couple podcasts ago, we're like, oh, we need to apologize to Cam Newton. I think we could take that apology maybe back a little bit because basically what we kind of alluded to in our probably our first or second podcast was that if 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 Cam Newton is forced to only throw the ball, he, they're not going to be good. And that's a lot of what kind of I'm seeing right now is he was really forced to throw it a lot. The run options and stuff like that were not fooling the Niners. And then same with last week too. So. I mean, you you really you're not seeing a, a very good Cam Newton when he, when he's not allowed to basically uh, run the ball a lot. I mean, even he was nine for for fifteen with three interceptions. That is yeah. that is awful. Like I, that I mean, that's a a, a QBR of of three point five. That's got to be the lowest ever. A, a passer rating of thirty nine. Like, I I don't think I've ever looked at my phone and seen those type of stats before. Like that that's might be one of the worst performances in the history of football I mean can Cam Newton bounce back I think so but I think that he's so reliant and I think the Patriots you saw when they played the Dolphins week one that run option was just perfect the run option then it went into play action then everything developed but once you kind of stop the run and you stop that run option then you're making him throw the ball and then you see what happens so I think Patriots are in a very uh weird situation that they're not going to be uh used to losing this many games yeah and the thing with Cam is that if you go back to 2015, his like MVP season with the Panthers when he made it to the Super Bowl, really mm-hmm. his great year in the NFL, he was so dangerous because he was that multi-dual threat quarterback. Mm-hmm. Like he'll throw it down the field 50 yards and then he'll just take it and run. And he mm-hmm. seemed to have lost confidence in his ability to do both. He doesn't seem to like really air it out. And he also doesn't seem to like kind of lower his shoulder, use his strength and just body someone for three or four yards on first down to make it a second and shorter, second and medium. So I don't know where his headspace is at, 
but he doesn't seem like a confident quarterback and you can have all the talent in the world. If you don't have, you know, the confidence when you throw the ball that the guy's going to catch it or you're going to make the throw. And if you don't have the confidence that you're going to scramble and gain five or six yards, you're just a deer in headlights out there. And defenses notice that. I mean, I'll tell you right now where his head's at. It's that I'm coming off a shoulder surgery with, in, with injuries to the shoulder prior to that. So who knows if that thing's even, even where it needs to be. I and mean, again, it's hard to expect anyone to come back and be throwing the ball as far and as hard like he used to prior to the injury. So that, I think, is the result of, of why he's not really airing it out downfield. And I think he's gone through, what, five or six years of being that mobile dual-threat quarterback and taking those hits. So I think he, honestly, to, to some extent, could be a uh, could be a, a, a preview of what you maybe see like a guy like Lamar or Josh Allen are in six to seven years. I mean, you could only take those hits for so long, and that's why so many guys – coming out of college executives and GMs, they don't really like those mobile quarterbacks. Like it's awesome for the first like rookie contract, three, four, five years. But like, as far as longevity goes, I still think that mobile quarterback doesn't last. And again, maybe I mean, like, we, saw, Lamar- we saw it with Michael Vick, right? That's, Michael uh, Vick. Yeah. He was great with the Falcons, you know, personal stuff got in the way. He went to prison. Mm. Let's not forget that. And then he came back. He had a good, he had one like really great year in Philadelphia but mm. it was more of a – if you take out the prison kind of separation between part A of his career and part B, it was still only a four-, five-, six-year career. Like, you're not going to yeah. get that 20-year Tom Brady run with a mobile quarterback. And I think it's that's why, you know, a guy who's mobile yet still able to be like a pocket quarterback, like, you know, like yeah. Mahomes, who can do both, mm-hmm. but is more of that pocket quarterback kind of guy, is more mm-hmm. sustainable than like a Lamar Jackson type who's kind of like a smaller, you know, slender kind of kid. It's more of like a, gonna get hurt. He, he's, RG, yeah, he's RG3 like a run is a first. perfect yeah. example. Remember RG3 lit the world on fire um, his like first couple years in the league. Redskins mm-hmm. made the playoffs. They were the Redskins at the time, so I'm allowed to say Redskins. Um, there you go. <laughs> and then he just completely like washed out. And now he's mm-hmm. been bouncing around as a backup. So it's important to have that quarterback that – can do both and Cam Newton can do both. And we've seen him do both in years past, but he just seems to have lost that, I don't know, confidence or ability. Yeah, uh, maybe I, he I, just I, took I, too many hits. Maybe yeah, you know, the physicality I mean. I of his game to. just, I think the physicality of the game just caught up to him. A hundred percent. I'm a hundred percent agree with that. I don't think he wants to take those hits. And part of me is like, can you blame him? I, I don't know if I yeah. really can. It's a business decision. It's tough. Let's, let's um, move on to a completely different division, a completely different situation. And that is the Cleveland Browns and the Cincinnati Bengals. Every time the Browns and Bengals play each other, mm-hmm. I think, oh, that game sucks. Like, it, yeah. just, it just has that kind of, like, a stigma where it's just going to be a boring game because, you know, both teams are kind of, like, in the middle of nowhere and, like, they're never mm-hmm. really that good. But this game was wildly entertaining. Yeah. Um, Mayfield comes out of the gate in the beginning and he's just terrible. Right. Mm-hmm. And being this crazy game, kind of like how the Seahawks and Cardinals was back and forth. And then Cleveland gets the win and now they're five and two. So are we, I, I don't like Baker Mayfield. I don't mm-hmm. think he's that good, but I, mm-hmm. but he really played well after his initial like bad start. So what do we think about the Cleveland? Browns. I mean, we know the Bengals are rebuilding. You know, Burrow's going to be fine, I think. But you know, it's just it's they're just the talent on the roster is not around him. 
what mm-hmm. do we think about Mayfield? Because it's a really interesting discussion to have when he's so inconsistent and people really don't like him as a quarterback, but you can't deny the fact that his team is five and two. So what do we think about the Cleveland Browns? So you look at their week one, they lost 38 to six to the Ravens. Then they beat the Bengals. Then they beat uh, the Washington football team. Then they beat the Cowboys. Then they beat the Colts. And then they got smacked by the Steelers. So what you're seeing is you're seeing a 500 team. You're seeing a team that's going to beat bad teams. And you're seeing a team that's getting destroyed by good teams. I mean, they're, they're winning against the Colts. The Colts are a pretty suspect team right now. No one really knows if they're kind of pretenders or contenders. And then it's, it's unfortunate that you, you come out, you have this awesome offensive performance, 37 points against the Bengals. But then against the, the Ravens and Steelers, you're at a combined 15 points in, in two games. So it's like, you, you gotta, you gotta make up your mind. I mean, they let up 38 points in both the Steelers and Ravens games. So those deficits right there tell me a lot about who the Browns are because no one really cares at the end of the day if you could beat the worst team in football and arguably the Bengals. So, and and no no one really cares kind of same thing. Oh, you beat Washington, you beat teams from the NFC East. Yeah, that's awesome. Their strength of schedule clearly isn't that good, but how are you competing with those top dogs in, in your own division or in your conference? And then clearly we're seeing that they don't do well at all. And it's not even like they're close games that they're just losing. They're getting destroyed. Like they're not even showing any forms of life. So I still think the Browns are going to finish probably like eight and eight, not make the playoffs. I don't think, I think some other team is going to sneak in behind them. You might even see, I mean, this week they play uh, the Raiders. I mean, that, that could be a team that sneaks in behind them. I just, I just think they're, they're five wins. They just, they're benefiting right now from a pretty easy schedule. Yeah, I mean, their schedule is, like, really simple. Like, it reminds me, remember the last time the Giants made the playoffs, they went 11-5, and five, I think. They had the easiest mm-hmm. schedule, like, ever. And then when mm-hmm. they played the Steelers one time, they lost. And then when they played the Packers in the wildcard round, they got destroyed. So you are where you're – you are – you play who you your schedule tells you to play. So mm-hmm. you can't, like, blame – or you can't kind of no. like criticize yeah. the Browns for having an easy schedule because they didn't pick their own schedule. Yeah. But – if you look at their schedule, they're five and two now. They play the Raiders next week. You know, the Raiders are kind of that kind of like on the same level as the Colts. Mm-hmm. Like we don't know who the Raiders are. So and they're at home. So let's say they beat the Raiders. They're six and two. They go in the bye. Then their next two out of the bye are the Texans, bad team, Eagles, bad team, Jaguars, who knows? Bad, bad team. team. That could be three more wins. So yeah, that can get yeah. them to what? Nine and two? Nine. And, and then, then they, they play the Titans. Oh they God. play the Titans and Ravens. So that can let's say they lose those two. That's nine and four. And then boom, Giants, Jets. You could you we can realistically see them going into the Steelers game at eleven and four. I mean, to 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 totally retract what I just said about them being eight and eight. When I scrolled down and I saw that schedule, that they they're honestly that that makes me feel a lot more comfortable. They're going to win eleven games and they're going to be the worst eleven win team in the history of the NFL. And even without Odell, like they still yeah. have you know, Landry. They still have Kareem Hunt. They still have all these guys. That's a that's a. I mean, again, it, it is what it is. I, I, you know, they have Kareem, Hunt, but with their schedule, yeah. they're they're just fortunate enough that they're playing the NFC East, who is not a good team. I mean, not a good division, and they're just playing them at the right time. So, I mean, just it, it that and this this is kind of stuff that people don't realize as far as like you look at wins and losses and stuff like that, and you look at teams are, are they rebuilding? Are they this? Are they that? Like if you put uh if you put uh say the Dolphins 
uh, last year, their team that was horrible, and you you put them against an easier schedule like this, that's what I mean. They could have easily gotten like maybe a six or, or even say seven wins, and that would have been them, say, overachieving. But if you put them against uh, a super hard schedule where you're playing like the NFC or AFC and NFC West, then you're easily looking at like 12 losses right there, even more. So it's like the, the strength of schedule, I think, really plays a big part in in the overall team's kind of success. And I know that's kind of obvious, but I think that's something that needs to be kind of looked at when you're evaluating, especially our teams that are basically rebuilding and then the Jets too and all these other teams. You really got to look at, all right, who are they beating? Who are they losing to? And stuff like that, because you're, you're playing like the Chiefs and stuff like that. Like you're not really expected to win. Yeah. And with the expanded playoffs, it's very conceivable that, you know, the Browns can make the playoffs mm-hmm. very easily. Yeah. Um, even with the Ravens and Steelers being better than them in that division with that, you know, seventh spot. So mm-hmm. it'll be interesting to see what happens when the playoffs actually happen and when they get when they match up against a good team. But, you know, good for them. Like, yeah, I, awesome. I, I mean, it, it's they, they benefited from it. And yeah, it's a perfect storm because they came in third place last year and the Bengals mm-hmm. came in fourth. But they have a good roster for a third place team. They got a new coach who's much better than Freddie Kitchens. It was just a nightmare. Mm-hmm. And now they play the third place teams in all the other divisions. And then they got a good draw getting the NFC East. So yeah. that's, that's basically a gift. They, they got yeah. a gift this year. Now mm-hmm. they can make the playoffs. Um, they can run into a game that they win. They're not going to beat the Ravens or the Steelers or the Chiefs, obviously. Not, mm-hmm. They're not even going to beat the Bills. I don't. I, I think they'd the probably Titans, be the worst either. team of the AFC to make the playoffs. I think the real test with Mayfield and this Browns organization is going to be next year when they have, I would assume, a tougher schedule. They're not going to get the NFC East again, and maybe mm-hmm. they can sneak into the second place and get a second-place schedule. What, what, how are they going to play in that schedule? How are Wait, they going to do next year when their schedule is harder? Are they going to you know, take a step up? And still be, and be a consistent t- nine ten win team, or are they going to take a step down and win five? I think that's going to be the case because you know we saw it with that with that Giants team in twenty sixteen. They won eleven and five against in a bad schedule. Then they got a second place schedule and a tougher division on the other side, and they won like four games. So yeah, I mean, that's a, that's a great point. Again, that's all stuff that when after the season ends, we just look at the record like, oh, this team was was six and 10 yeah. and this team was, was 11 and five, but you really got to look at that stuff. Like, all right, what, like what comparable teams did you play from the year prior? So it, it, it's, it's going to be really interesting. And like you said, it, they're probably going to benefit again by being a playoff team this year with potentially 11 wins. And they're still going to be that third place. So you're still going to get that third place schedule for the next year. So it's going to be really interesting to see kind of how that unfolds. And that's a really great point you brought up. And I'm going to start trying to look at that from basically every team's perspective. Yeah. I think what we fall into this trap of, I get, I think me and you are more base or big baseball guys as well. Mm-hmm. And if like, you know, the Yankees won 95 games one year, we look at 95 as like the baseline going mm-hmm. into next year. Like how are we going to get above 95 in football? Mm-hmm. If your team wins nine games, we kind of feel like, okay, nine is the baseline and they got to do better from nine. It's not like that with football. It's a completely different game. Nine isn't the baseline going from year to year. So Mm -hmm. if the Browns win 11, 12 games, you know, people in Cleveland are going to be like, okay, 12 is the baseline. How are we going to improve from a 12 win team to a 14 win team? That's not how football Mm -hmm. is designed. 
because of the schedule and because of the constant, you know, roster turnover and because Mm -hmm. of the salary cap and everything's getting moved around, you really start from seven. I think every team starts for, unless you're terrible, every team starts at seven and Mm -hmm. then the variables bring it up to nine or 12 or whatever, but you don't just start those, the win total you had last year as like the base of where you have to be the next year, because it doesn't work like that. Yeah. I mean, again, this is, I I don't know what episode we talked about this, but I had a uh, kind of saying, I said, and this, I got this from uh, Omar Kelly, uh, one of the Dolphins uh, uh, main sports columnists. And he was saying every, every team's schedule is basically set out for you to go eight and eight. And then when you look at it and dissect it, usually you look at, all right, there's three wins there, you know, are going to be losses. And then there's three guaranteed wins against just the shitty teams. And then you have those, the what, 10 games right there. And those are kind of toss up 50, 50 games. And those are going to dictate pretty much how the season goes. And then when you really look at it in that sense, or like you said too, you look at seven wins that are, how am I going to get to that nine, maybe 10, or Hey, maybe I'm at that five or four. And now I'm in a top seven draft pick. So it is really interesting when you look at that. And then, like you said, yeah, if your team wins 11, 12 games this year, like even the Browns, I don't think that should be expected for them to do the next year. Let's move on. Before we get to the mailbag, let's talk mm. quickly about the Giants-Eagles game. Mm-hmm. Um, because, you know, the Giants – It's I feel like the NFL wants the Giants to be in the playoffs because the NFC East is so bad. And, like, mm. every time I look, I'm like, okay, if this happens – and this happens, and this happens, and the Giants win, we, mm-hmm. we're right in this thing. But I the know. Giants shoot themselves in the foot every single game. You look at the Steelers game. They could have won. They could have stole that game. The Bears mm-hmm. game, they could have stole. The Niners game, they got destroyed. Let's not even talk about it. The Rams game, they could have taken if Jones led the team down in the final drive. Um, mm-hmm. This Eagles game as well. The Cowboys games. All these teams, all these games, they could have won. Now, this year it's fine. It's a rebuild. Like you're supposed to lose. You want that draft pick, but at this time next year, these losses that they're having are going to be completely unacceptable because it'd be year two of Joe of judge and year three of Jones. So I I hope they're getting their losses out now, but at some point you got to like win. So so you, because you got to know that you can win. You need to know in the back of your head, when you go on a two minute drive to win a division in week 17 next year that you've done this before the giants continue to like shoot themselves in the foot in a game where they were winning by 11 points with six minutes to play. I don't mm-hmm. care if you're rebuilding, you have yeah. to win that football game. Um, Daniel yeah. Jones. I mean, I like the kid seems like a nice guy. I don't see the improvement that everybody else sees in giants mm-hmm. land. I don't know if mm-hmm. I'm just a pessimist. People will say that I am, but that's fine. 20 career games. He has 23 fumbles. He's lost 15 of them. He has 19 interceptions. That's 34 turnovers in 20 games. I don't see him making better decisions this week than he did in his first game against Tampa last year. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't know when at some point, Daniel Jones, it has to click and he has to make better decisions with the football. Like, he continuously makes really, really bad choices. Um, the interception he had last week against the Eagles, you can you can say it was on Ingram. Yeah. But at the same time, like, he threw it a million miles an hour on a little mm-hmm. five-yard slant route. Like, you got to have yeah. to – you need to know what kind of touch you need to put on the football. Um, mm-hmm. The fumble was bad. I, I You knew that was coming to end the game. Yeah. 
but you know, I got to give credit to credit was due. He threw a dime to Ingram and Ingram just dropped it. Um, I don't know. It's just very frustrating with the giants. And then, you know, on top of that, after the game, golden Tate is tweeting about call of duty to Darius Slay, like Mm -hmm. uh, jokingly after you lost a heartbreaking game that you were supposed to win, that could have gotten you back in the division. And Mm -hmm. then you saw the, I guess, TMZ or whatever it was of Jones and Barkley, you know, gallivanting around in the Philadelphia streets in the middle of a pandemic. Mm -hmm. It's very frustrating being a Giants fan. And it's very hard for me to see how this team hasn't adopted a culture of losing. Like people Mm -hmm. yell at me all the time. Like I'm in a group chat with a few friends and they're Giants fans. And I Mm -hmm. said, the Giants have a losing culture and I got jumped for it. I'm like, no, how could you say that? I'm like, well, you know look at the look at the stats like they've lost more games than any other team since 2017 they do these stupid things after the game they don't really seem to i i I don't know done with the giants i i I yeah i don't know what to say about them anymore it's it's a it's a it's a very weird thing i'll I'll touch on the stats first and i'll get into more of the off the field stuff so i mean I've been kind of saying that their defense has been a bright spot i think for the most part so far this season i mean bradbury's been great yeah, I mean they 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 let up 346 yards. Obviously, that's that, that that's that's a decent amount. It's not awful. I mean that's probably where where they're at. I mean it is what it is there. But you still yeah you got that interception which was huge. But you you had two fumbles lost for the Giants and then you had the interception thrown by Daniel Jones. It's like you're not going to win games. You're turning the ball over three times like that. And like you mm-hmm. said with, with with the stats before, you're basically looking at two two uh, two turnovers a game. So that you're, that's not going to win you games. And that's where the whole conversation of, oh, well, maybe game managers are actually better than, say, these gunslinger kind of guys is because they're not going to turn the ball over. So they, he needs to – and the Giants need to put a priority on on just the possession of the ball and, and then ball security in all phases of the game, not just Daniel Jones but everybody because they're a team right now that cannot afford to give up even one possession. They, they yeah. just can't. I mean, a lot of their games have been pretty close coming down to the last drive. And I think with with Daniel Jones, luckily, again, we're only he's one and a half years into his career. But throughout this season, not that you're going to say pull the plug on him, but you need to see improvement. Because at mm-hmm. what point do you say, all right, like, like, like he's not doing he's not learning from his mistakes, basically, and stuff like that. So this is a big second half of the year for him where he's going to go through this this second half. And if he doesn't show improvement, year three might be his breaking point. Yeah. You, you, you might see a benching, a, a permanent bench of Daniel Jones come that, that year three and a half there, or it would be two, two seasons and a half. He might not make it through year three. And it is what it is. That's just kind of the life cycle of a quarterback, especially a rookie one is you have to give them that like two to four years and see what they're doing. And if they're not improving, like if it gets to a point where Daniel Jones is losing you games, you need to make a switch, 100%. I think if he's the yeah. sole reason you're losing games, you have to make a switch. And I know the offensive line isn't that great and stuff like that, but the front office needs to do something about it. Or I guess maybe get a, a quarterback who can handle a, a kind of crappier offensive line or create some sort of system that's going to get the ball out quick where you can cover up the faults of the offensive line. Hey, it's frustrating as a Giants fan because I watched Daniel Jones throw, throw all these interceptions and fumble all these like, balls. And then, like, I watched the Chargers and Herbert, and I watched the Bills and Allen, and the Cardinals and Murray, and the Browns. I know the Browns and Mayfield. I know the roster is completely different. I know mm-hmm. all those quarterbacks have a much better roster in terms of offensive line and, you know, receiving core and, you know, experienced head coaches. I get all that. 
But at some point, if you're the number six pick in the overall in the draft and you're a quarterback, and the same could be said about Sam Darnold on the other New York mm-hmm. team, mm-hmm. eventually you need to put the team on your back. If you're really that guy, you need to take all of that, I guess, all that baggage that your organization carries and you mm-hmm. got to put it on your back and you got to go out and win a football game. Like that's what your like number one overall pick or number six overall pick French face of the franchise quarterback needs to do. That's what two is going to have to do eventually with the dolphins. Mm-hmm. Eventually you just got to block out that noise. And in the fourth quarter of a game where you're tied or down by three or down by seven, you need to just go down the field and win the football game. And we haven't seen it from Jones this year at all. Um, he's had the, opportunities. Red, the Washington game was given to him by Ron Rivera oh, yeah. for not going for two. But, mm-hmm. you know, the Steelers game in week one, remember he had that 17-play drive, ended with a pick mm-hmm. in the end zone. Yeah. He had a chance in the red zone of the Browns game to win the game with a touchdown. The 49ers game, they got killed. Um, the Eagles game, they could have won if they just, like, played a better, like, four-minute offense to just drain out the clock. The Cowboys yeah. game, same thing. You had a big lead. You got to just hold it. Um, yeah. What The Rams game was same as the, the Bears game. You mm-hmm. could have went down the field. You won the game with a touch. Like, eventually, my franchise quarterback, my first-round quarterback, needs to do those things. And mm-hmm. he has, you know, what, eight, eight, nine more games this year to do it a couple of times. Mm-hmm. And then yeah. year three, he has to do it consistently. Or else yeah, you got to make a change here. Yeah, and that's the thing. I, I definitely don't think anyone should be pulling the plug on Daniel Jones just yet. Um, obviously, if they have that potential pick for Lawrence or Justin Fields, that might get interesting. Mm-hmm. But I don't, I don't think we're there just yet. I still think you, you, I want to see him play a whole nother year out. But yeah, to me, year three is going to be under a microscope. And yeah, like you said, even if it's, say, unfair to have to do all these things, it is what it is. You're, you're, you're getting paid and you're getting drafted to do these things and to, to kind of carry your franchise. Russell Wilson's doing it. He gets sacked, yeah. I think, more than anybody in, in, in the history of the NFL through X amount of seasons. So basically the way I see it, if he can do it, why can't my guy? And especially when Russell Wilson was, what, third, fourth-round draft pick, something mm-hmm. like that. So that's kind of how you got to look at it. And then going back to what you were saying about the Giants and they're kind of off-the-field stuff, so what I see, and again, it's tough to really kind of put a statistic on it or even say it's the 100% the truth, but who is their leader? And, and that, that's kind of what I'm, I'm wondering. And you even, even when Eli was there, Eli isn't that guy, that kind of rah-rah guy you're really going to rally around. Again, correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think mm-hmm. he is. Like, I, I'm more so I'm trying to imagine, like, what would Michael Strahan do, who is, a, who is an awesome leader and team captain, with this team right now. Like I'm not seeing anybody kind of take that step up. And obviously we're not in the locker room, mm-hmm. but I don't think Daniel Jones, is that guy, maybe Saquon, that's where they're kind of losing it. But I just, I'm more so I'm looking to the defense and I know Logan Ryan is a veteran, but he's there on a one year rental. So mm-hmm. it's like, I don't really see that, that centerpiece in the team kind of taking the next step and kind of putting everybody on focus. And it's obviously, it needs to come from Joe judge, but I think he's been doing a fair job of kind of trying to keep everyone focused and stuff like that. And he's a very kind of hard news, old, hard nosed old school guy, but on the field, like I like who is their alpha male. That's what I want to know. Cause I don't, yeah, see I mean, 
Blake Martinez just got here, so it's hard for mm-hmm. like a first year Giant to exactly, like really yeah. step up and be that leader. But you look back into those years where the Giants made the playoffs and won Super Bowls, they had guys like Strahan, and they had guys like Justin Tuck and OCU Manura mm-hmm. and Andrew Roll, who wasn't a top five safety in the league, but was just a an absolute like star in that locker room. Like people listened mm-hmm. to what Andrew Roll had to say on the Giants. Um, they don't have those guys anymore. Like, who who is their alpha male? That that is going to be that that dog that that's just going to grind them through games and keep yeah. everyone in. I don't think they have. I mean, it, it's a shame that a veteran on the offensive side like Golden Tate doesn't do that, and instead is like fighting Jalen Ramsey and is tweeting mm-hmm. at Jarius Slay after a loss about mm-hmm. not reviving him in Call of Duty. That, that infuriates me. Like I know with the Ramsey incident, there's a thing with his sister and whatever. Yeah, I really I don't care because yeah, no, I don't on the field you have to like show you have to be like a leader and you have to like set a good example for this very young team um the the call of duty tweet was so stupid i would have cut him immediately like i know the trade deadline's happening i'm sure somebody needs i know i'm sure the packers need a wide receiver so just Just get rid of him just get rid of all the dead weight I, i i don't like what golden tate stands for on this team i think he's just you know getting a paycheck at the end of his career. I don't think he actually cares to be here. Um, mm-hmm. The Jones Barkley thing bothers me, not only because mm-hmm. it's a pandemic and you shouldn't be outside. If you're, you know, in a bubble kind of situation where in the NFL, yeah. like you're getting mm-hmm. tested all the time. And if you test positive and then games get canceled and that looks bad, it's not even that you shouldn't be going to a bar after a loss. That's just me. If I lost a game, I'm not going to a club, not doing it. I'm going to mm-hmm. be pissed about losing. I, I guess other people aren't like that. I don't, yeah. you're probably like that too. You wouldn't go out and party after a backbreaking loss, like a season yeah, ending it, loss. It's, it's just it, a it's, bad look. It's so tough. And, and like, like some people are going to be like, Oh, well, like they got to get their mind off things and yada, yada. Like, I get that. And I get like, and I get for them. Sometimes it is just a business. Like you said, like golden Tate, like he's just could be collecting a paycheck, but then if you think about Kobe and LeBron and then Tiger mm-hmm. Woods and stuff like and the Jeter, like you just think about like, like imagine they just lost a game like that. Like, I don't think you're going to see them at a club I, or even, I don't even think you're going to, you're not even going to see a smile on their face. And obviously those are the top tier kind of alpha males in the history of sports, but that's what you want. And, and maybe if you're not even kind of a shell of that, then, Maybe that's not a guy, a, a guy you kind of want on your team. Like, I want a guy who's going to be pissed. Like, listen, take the night to be pissed. Listen, if he was out, out and about the next day or the, the day after, listen, I get that. You're off day. You got to kind of clear your mind. But, like, during the game or just after the game is over, like, I, I get it might sound stupid, but I prefer for you to be mad a little bit. Like, I yeah. don't know if that's dumb to say, but, like, yeah, I you agree. should that's be a little bit. Especially when you're a professional athlete, it's like, this is your job. Like, like, I don't, I don't know. It, it's such a weird thing because some people are going to be like, oh, well, it's fine if they just brush it off. Like it shows that they're mentally tough, but like, I want to see, you want to see some emotion. And I think that's where I think Giants fans are at where their team right now is flirting with not giving a shit and then kind of being mentally tough and brushing it off. Like you almost want to see a helmet thrown or you almost, not that you want to see a temper tantrum, but you want to see some friggin' emotion. You want to see something. And I don't think any Giants fans are feeling that right now. Yeah, I just thought, like, imagine, like, Odell went to a club. Oh like, he'd God. get absolutely oh destroyed. My oh, my you, God. Yeah. I remember Odell lost a game in Philly when he was on the Giants. It was the year mm-hmm. they made the playoffs. Mm-hmm. And it could have clinched a playoff spot for them. 
and they lost the game. It was a tough loss. I think it was like a last second loss, whatever. He pun- Remember he punched the wall by the locker yeah. room and he mm-hmm. put a hole in it and people were like, oh, this kid's like immature, blah, blah, blah. He's a diva, I, yeah. In my opinion, I don't know if you agree. I'd rather have that kicking nets, kind of that kind of like piss that you lost, want to win more than anything in the world. Then, you know, 30 minutes later, like doing a joking tweet about Call of Duty to the guy that just beat you or going to a club after the game, after a loss. I know it's completely yeah. different in terms of the Giants aren't winning anything this year anyway, opposed to the mm-hmm. game that Odell played where it was a playoff like implication game. But a loss is a loss. I'd rather see a guy, Odell, not necessarily punching a wall because you can break your hands, like Amari Stoudemire punching a fire hydrant, remember, in the playoffs that one year. But I'd rather see something on that kind of level of the spectrum than what Mm -hmm. I'm seeing from these current Giants. Yeah, and and to to kind of use a comparison or analogy with that, like I think from a coaching standpoint, even just thinking about it from, from a teammate standpoint, I think it's a lot easier to reel someone down from that level of, say, intensity and maybe it's even anger than it is to get someone ramped up. Like, again, we've both played sports. We play baseball together. You, you can see the guys where if they don't care, they're not going to care. Like, it, it's so hard to get those guys who are kind of mellowed out and they don't really care to get them to care more. But those guys who already care a lot, you, you can reel them down as far as their antics and stuff like that. But – the fact that that passion is there, I love that. And that's kind of just going into all this stuff. Like I know people say Odell's a diva and stuff like that, but like I still think he's an alpha male type kind of personality. And yes, he, he was a little maybe immature and throwing stuff, and obviously that's a lot to handle, but it looks bad. But like you said, he gives a shit, and he really cares, and he wants to win. So it's like, again, I'm with you. I would rather have that guy punching holes in the wall then then nothing at all and, and it it's, might sound weird but that's just how kind of how i feel i want i'd rather a guy who gives 100% to wanting to win and is pissed after it doesn't go his way yeah i agree 100% so that'll wrap up the giants portion of the show so let's do this mailbag and wrap mm-hmm. it up that sounds good so we got sticking with uh, the nfc's brito says should the cowboys give dak the bag when he comes back I think so. I'd give it to him. I'm not crazy about – I don't think Dak's like a top 10 quarterback, but mm. he's had – he had a great year up until he got hurt, and he was mm. really like proving himself. In my, He was having a really, really good year in my opinion. Yeah. Um, he does things that um, – I don't. I'm trying to articulate this the way I want. Last year, when he played, when he played last year, he didn't have a good year. Right? Mm-hmm. People were like, "Oh, are they actually going to give him this money?" He mm-hmm. had a going to like kind of just like back into the playoffs because you know the roster around him isn't that great. The Cowboys aren't that good, but there's a price to be put on the thing we were just talking about with the Giants, and that's the leadership. And Dak's yeah. leadership of the Cowboys is second to none. Like mm-hmm. it's on, it's like just as good as what Tony Romo was, what Troy Aikman was. Yeah. I would give Dak the bag because I don't think you can copy the level of respect that his guys have in the locker room for him. Even if he's not the most talented quarterback in the NFL, I think there's a price to be put on leadership. And I think there's a price to be put on the way people look at you when you walk into the clubhouse or the locker room. 
Like people listen to what you have to say and people care what you have to say. And I feel like mm-hmm. Dak has that in the Dallas locker room. And I, don't, I, I think there's a price to be put on that. So I would mm-hmm. give him the bag in terms of, you know, just being the face of the franchise and being the guy that everyone listens to. Like, no, I, yeah, I'm, there's been a lot le- there's been a lot worse quarterbacks in the history of the NFL than Dak Prescott that have won a Super Bowl, right? Yeah. So if I'm Jared Jones, I'm going to be like, yeah, I could tank this and get a Trevor Lawrence or a Justin Fields and try it that way. Mm-hmm. But, you know, Dak has been like this entire organization for 4 years now. So I mm-hmm. personally would give him the bag in terms of you know, just the way he's respected in that community in that locker room. No, I'm not even going to – I agree with you 100%. I'm not even going to touch upon it anymore. We'll go to the next question because that was perfect what you said. And I'm all – with everything you said, I'm 100% with. So uh, sticking with uh, kind of the kind of the NFC's McCarthy, Coach Poppy asked, how good must Aaron Rodgers have been to make Mike McCarthy look competent for 13 years? I'll take the lead first with this one. I think that is a great question because – McCarthy just—he looks like he has no idea what he's doing. There's he's no throwing con- his own players under the bus. Yeah, there's there's no control of that locker room. And then to touch upon what you said with Dak, Aaron Rodgers is a great leader, which it clearly seems that he was the the sole reason why this team was successful. And I know McCarthy, I think, gets a lot of credit just because uh, just because of having uh, Aaron Rodgers. So I mm-hmm. think to answer Coach Poppy's question. Aaron Rodgers is legit, and I honestly think could could go down as one of the best quarterbacks ever. He just needs that that one or two maybe extra rings to kind of solidify it. But from a skill standpoint, I mean, you're seeing it this year too. Aaron Rodgers is the man. Like, he, yeah. he is the guy. Even at, what, 35, 36 years old, whatever he is, he's a guy I would want to lead my franchise for the next four years. I, I really wouldn't care about the age. He's that good. And obviously, I, don't, I think McCarthy and then Jets fans might be happy because I know he was a guy that a lot of them wanted. Maybe not that you made the right move with Gase, but you didn't make the wrong move with with, with uh, not getting McCarthy. I don't understand what McCarthy's doing in Dallas. Like there was a situation where somebody got hit, or I don't. It's fuzzy in my memory, but somebody got hit, and like Dallas, and Dalton, they yeah. they didn't really. Yeah, Don got hit. Nobody really backed him up or kind of like pushed and shoved the other team around. And McCarthy basically said, "I can't believe we didn't do that." Blah blah blah. And then the players came back towards at him. And mm-hmm. threw shots at him through the media. It's a mess over there, and mm-hmm. you know that it, it kind of just brings into perspective both the conversations we both just had. If Dak was there and present, that wouldn't have slid. And you know, if Aaron Rodgers were there, that wouldn't have slid. Like, I yeah. feel like McCarthy doesn't have control of that locker room at all. I think the no, second 100%. Dak went down, the, you know, I guess the the to use like a kind of like an expression, like the cages of the zoo just open and all these animals are just running free. Like, yeah, McCarthy has no idea like how to you know bring back that locker room towards him now that you know their season's in a tailspin. And now yeah, think, no, and that, that's that's really what the most important thing of a head coach is. We yeah. talk all the time about you know play call. We complain about coaches' play call, and we we complain about like if they challenged or not. We complain about their time management, but really the most important thing of a head coach or really any head coach in basketball or a manager in baseball or in hockey, how do you control that locker room? And how do you have every single guy on your roster on the same page and happy? We saw it yesterday in baseball with Kevin Cash and that decision that he made. Does Mm -hmm. he lose the locker room now? So when these little things hit the wall, 
how do you as a head coach bring everyone together and have everyone in a cohesive unit to like be on the same page and everyone believe in the system that they're running. The second Dak went down, McCarthy lost that and he hasn't yeah. been able to get back and it's been three weeks now and that could cost mm-hmm. them the division, whether it's to the Eagles or to the you know Washington football team. So it really speaks volumes about the quarterbacks that McCarthy has had in Dak mm-hmm. when things were going okay in Dallas when he was with Dak and when he had Rodgers because when he had Rodgers, everything was fine. They won the division every year. They made it to the NFC championship game a bunch of times and they won a Super mm-hmm. Bowl. So it really seems now that you've seen the divorce between McCarthy and Rogers, that it was Rogers who was, you know, the guy in that locker room and not McCarthy. Yeah. Yeah. A couple other, two quick ones right here. And then there's two more that I want to expand upon. Alec Paul, many asks, is Matt Ryan on the move next season? I can't, the Falcons suck. They, they always, I can't believe the, the, the way they lose games. But he like, doesn't suck though. That's the thing. That, that's a good point. So that's a good point. Yeah, I, I think, um, they, I think, but, I think they just need a defense. But like you hand the ball off. I, I just remember the, like you hand the ball off and then he just falls into the end zone. Yeah. Like, the poor Falcons. Like what's his con, what's uh, Matt Ryan's contract? I'll look it up right now. And I wonder if, you know, it will Ryan force him way, his way out of there. I, I, that's the what I was wondering too. It, it, his contract might dictate kind of he's forced it, but it's so tough because their offense is still good. It's just, they just can't hold the lead. So to me, yeah. you got to, you got to reinforce the defense by all means necessary. Pulling I mean, there were right a little, now. like there was a couple years stretches where, you know, the Packers had a bad defense or the Patriots had a bad defense. And, mm-hmm. you know, we had the same conversations about Brady and Rogers at some points, but yeah, I don't, so, I, I don't think it's so hard for like quarterbacks who have been with a franchise for so many years to just pack up and leave. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if that's going to happen. The yes. only way I see Ryan leaving is if the Falcons say we need a new quarterback, and I don't think they'll say that. Yeah, so his contract right now, he's getting 18 – ooh, this is interesting. He's getting 18 mil this year, and then next year is still like part of – uh, it's like, I guess, guaranteed or whatever. He's getting $40 million next year. Oh, my God. And then in, – in, but then there's a potential out after that where – you wouldn't have to pay him 26 and then 8 mil. I mean, my bad. You wouldn't have to pay him 41 and then 36 million in 2022 and 2023. So to me, the the shitty part of that is that you're paying him the 40 next year. But no one's going to like no one's going to pick that up. So they might have to cut him and you're going to eat though 50 million dollars in dead cap space. I don't think they could afford to. So he might be sticking around for next year and then after 2021, I think they make maybe make a change or they draft a later guy this year. But Matt Ryan, I still think, based off that, is your quarterback for this year and next year, definitely. Yeah, it's a shame. He deserves so much better there. Yeah. He should have won the Super you. Bowl, right? Yeah. And then, yeah. you know, the bad play calling, you know, really and, – and, the you know, the collapse of the defense really mm-hmm. cost him that Super Bowl. And then uh, he had the lead against the Cowboys. The defense couldn't hold it. The onside mm-hmm. kick disaster – uh, the lead last week when the running back just fell into the end zone, we could have just take yeah, a knee. Really, yeah. Also like just take a knee, like from the line of scrimmage and just yeah, take really, a, it was a, what, it was what's a the extra, field goal anyway. Yeah. What's the extra friggin' five yards. to 10 yards. Yeah. Like, yeah. That's a great point too. 
Yeah, it reminded me of that giant Super Bowl when Bradshaw kind of did the same exact thing. Yeah, just thing. fumbled. Just, yeah, just kind of dropped they in. Just fell in, but like I don't, yeah. I don't know what Atlanta's doing. Um, Matt Ryan definitely deserves better. If he mm. can get, if if you put a gun to in his head and you said, "Do you think it'd be better for your career if you left?" I think he'd say yes, but I think he's tied there for another year. I don't think anyone can do anything about it. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, sticking with quarterbacks, Joe Roma asks. Is Scam Newton – I haven't heard that one yet. Is Scam Newton done forever after this year? I think he'll get – I think he'll get a backup job somewhere. I think his years as like a starter franchise quarterback are completely over. I think that's absolutely – I think that's a fact. Um, I think – I think he'll – he'll land a backup job somewhere. You got guys like RG3 and Colt McCoy hanging on as backups in the NFL. I think Cam can – do the same thing. I don't think he'll mm-hmm. be out of the league next year. I just don't think he'll be a no. starter. Yeah. I, is that if anything, he might be, he might stick around with the Patriots, but I think they're going to try to find a different avenue to get a quarterback that, that they more so are in love with. Like Newton kind of fell into their laps and it was the best of a bad situation this year. But on the flip side, does Cam Newton want to be a backup quarterback? Like he has, he has no, a lot God, of, no. he has a lot of other interests in life. Yeah. So if like this off season, um, presents itself like last offseason did and he's a free agent going into like close to when the season starts he might just you know pack it up and go so yeah no, that's, that's, yeah he might be more if, of like a if he is able to if he's able to accept the fact that he's a backup now then I'll think he'll be in the league because I think people will jump on the name and the talent mm-hmm. but if he doesn't want to be a backup and he's content on being a starting quarterback in the NFL, I think he's done in the NFL. That, that, that is a very good point. So last two, this is from uh, Nico. He asks, are the Bucks the NFC favorite? No, I think the Packers are the favorite. All right. I know they lost to the Packers. I know the Packers lost to the Buccaneers, mm-hmm. but I think when push comes to shove, in January, if the game's at Lambeau Field in the NFC Championship game in sub-zero weather, I think Rodgers gets that done. Um, I think it's I think it's conceivable. If you told me the the Buccaneers are in the Super Bowl, I'd be like, oh, yeah, I can see that. But I think that the Packers have something to say about the Buccaneers being the favorite, and I think the Seahawks mm-hmm. still have something to say about the Buccaneers being the favorite. I wouldn't call the Buccaneers like the clear-cut NFC mm-hmm you know, best team in the NFC. I think yeah. the Packers, they had a one hiccup game against the Buccaneers and then they, you know, looked great last week. So yeah. I, I'm going to go Packers in, as I'm speaking this, this very minute. Yeah. So I, I, I yeah, I'm going to say, so we both predicted the Seahawks to, to be the mm-hmm. NFC favorite. I think I, I, I would maybe at this point retract that and say that the Bucks or Packers are ahead of them. Mm-hmm. Just, but it, the the thing I I like about the Bucks that the Seahawks or Packers don't have is a good defense. So that to me it could be the difference there. Like you know what you're going to get in Tom Brady, especially when the playoffs roll around. Like he might not be as flashy as Aaron Rodgers or Russell Wilson, but if you need a two minute drill, like Brady could get that done. He, again, Brady might not put up 38 points in a game and and, and seven touchdowns, but I don't know. I mean, Brady might be the hottest quarterback in the NFL right now. I mean, you, you talked about it before. He's got, what, 18, 19 touchdowns in total through – and we're through, what, uh, six or seven games, whatever it is. I don't know if they had a buy yet. So, I mean, 
he, he's on pace for a friggin' 40 touchdown season. Yeah. That, those are MVP numbers. And again, that defense is coming alive a little bit. So I, I'm I think still it's really, I think it's scary for the rest of the NFL that Gronk seems to be getting comfortable in yeah. Tampa. I think that's really yeah, scary no. for the rest of the NFL. I think what's yeah. going to make the difference, and it's going to come up soon, is what are the Packers going to do with the trade deadline? Do yeah. they get that, you know, big time like receiver? Because they really have mm-hmm. Devontae Adams and who else for Aaron Rodgers? Yeah, it's kind of it. Yeah. So if they can get another weapon for Aaron Rodgers, I think that will kind of kind of like solidify the Packers as the NFC favorite. But I could see I can you concede it being a toss-up between the Buccaneers and the Packers at this yeah, moment. I, I still might lean towards the Packers, but I, I definitely think the Bucs are – they are so, so close to, to being that uh, NFC kind of champion right there. So last question comes from Eddie. He said, predict your top five mock draft. So I'm just going to base this off of right now as it stands with who the top five uh, teams are to get draft picks. It would be – the Jets at number one, the Giants at number two, Jacksonville number three, Atlanta at number four, and then the Dolphins via Houston at number five. So the Jets, and we've talked about this just about every podcast, Jets are going Trevor Lawrence. Not a Absolutely. doubt in my mind. Then the the Giants, I think, have an interesting one where a guy like uh, Pine Sewell from, or Sewell from uh, Oregon, offensive tackle, I think that would be smart. However, I wouldn't necessarily hate if they went Micah Parsons, who's kind of that alpha male type uh, middle linebacker that almost has shades of Lawrence Taylor. So that would be, I think, again, even though they have Blake Martinez, it's, it still doesn't hurt to get another one. Like like we talked yeah. about uh, investing versus addressing. Why, why not Why not maybe go after uh, a Micah, Micah Parsons or a guy like a linebacker? I think the Giants are going to go line the first overall. But if it's not, if, 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 you know, for some, if a miracle doesn't happen and if a miracle does happen and the Jets win a couple games and the Giants lose out and the Giants get the first overall pick, I think they should take Trevor Lawrence. I think any franchise would be stupid not to do that if they had mm-hmm. the opportunity to take him. With that said, if they foul, if they're in the two or three spot, I think they're going to go line either offensive or defensive line because they don't get mm-hmm. a lot of pressure on the quarterback. Yeah. at all mm-hmm. um here's the thing thomas who they picked in the first round last year is not doing well now i don't want to jump on him because it's hard for a rookie offensive lineman to make an instant impact in the nfl especially the, left tackle too. But, but the stats are the stats mm-hmm. and what he's given up is what he's given up in terms of you know pressure on daniel jones yeah. so it, it's unfortunate that the giants are going to have to double down on taking offensive linemen two years in a row. But, you know, that could also be that could also be a good thing if Andrew Thomas has a bounce-back year and ends up having a nice career. And then they take Sewell, Sewell out of Oregon. Yeah. All of a sudden, you have a wall yeah. at offensive line, and Jones actually has time to, like, showcase what he can do. So I think mm-hmm. what the Giants have been bad at for the last decade-plus, since the guys like O'Hara and Snee and McKenzie and all those guys left – has mm-hmm. been their offensive line. Their offensive line has been a terrible for what, six, seven years now. Yeah. I think it's finally time to commit to building the best offensive line you possibly can. And then if they're not going to do that, I think you build it on the other side, on the defensive line. I think the yeah. best teams are built through the trenches. And if you have dominant yeah. lines on both sides of the football, you're going to be a good team. 
So yeah. I think the Giants are going to go offensive line. Uh, again, that, that, that would, I think, make more sense. Again, it might not sell tickets, might not put asses in the seats, but I think that would be the best thing. So then three but, Jacksonville. But, like, but to go on top that? of what you just said about not filling seats and not like selling jerseys, they've been doing that and they've been losing. They've taken yeah. Jones and that, Barkley yeah. and Ingram. And mm. they've taken who else? Who else have they taken? Odell, who's not here anymore. They've taken all yeah. these like flashy guys in the first round. And what has that gotten me? That's gotten me nothing. Yeah. That's gotten me one playoff appearance, one playoff game in the last nine years. And in that playoff mm-hmm. game, they got absolutely destroyed because their flashy receivers that they picked in the first round dropped two balls in the end zone. So mm-hmm. it's not fun. And, you know, the kind of fans, the casual fans that want these sexy names at wide receiver positions are going to be mm-hmm. upset that they're not taking, you know, the top wide receiver in the draft. But if you want to win, you got to do the ugly stuff first. That's for any. Yeah. So I'm good with the offensive line. So that, then you look at uh, – so Jaguars, I think we can both agree they'll go Justin Fields. They'll take their quarterback. Yeah, I don't think – I'm, I'm sad because I like Minshew and I like the story, but, but it's, yeah. just, it's not working out. Yeah, which again, and then the Falcons are an interesting one because they can go a number of different routes. They can go Trey Lance, quarterback out of North Dakota State, or you can go uh, kind of build up that defense and you go a guy, like I said, Micah Parsons before if he's not drafted by by the Giants or even a guy like Gregory Rousseau, who's an edge guy out of Miami. So I think I think the the the, the Giants and Falcons are kind of in similar situations where they – they, they both need that defensive help, but I think the Giants obviously just they're tending more to they need to build that brick wall, whereas the Falcons offense doesn't really have any issues right now. So I think they definitely leaning more towards the guy on defense is going to make more sense for them. Yeah, Matt Ryan's doing fine. The problem is they can't hold leads. So if you get yeah. that guy on the line who can rush the passer or, you know, be that guy like that knows like the guy in the middle of the line that's just going to stuff the run and not mm. get anyone, not let any running back get through the line of scrimmage i think that'll help the falcons win a lot more football games because you know when it comes down to the last two minutes of the game and the falcons need a stop i have no faith that that defense is going to get that stop and i think that starts at the line you got to get pressure on the quarterback i remember the the prescott comeback with the cowboys in week two Dak had like a, an hour in the pocket yeah to make it to the i know so got to get an edge rusher if i'm atlanta and then last but not least, my Miami Dolphins via the trade, the Laramie Tunsil trade from last year from the Texans. So uh, they can go kind of a, a number of, of different route here. They can go – I think I think I would like Micah Parsons here because they have a bunch of a bunch of their linebackers right now are on uh, one-year deals, like a couple of them are. Like obviously you have Van Noy who's more of that kind of outside linebacker, almost that like 3-4 edge guy. So I think Michael Parsons is a good staple right in the middle of that defense, and obviously Flores is a defensive guy. However, contrary to what we've been saying about putting asses in the seats, mm-hmm. I would, would not hate one bit getting a Jamar Chase out of LSU wide receiver or Jalen Waddell, uh, Alabama uh, wide receiver, because they're, they're, they invested a lot in their offensive line, so I don't think they're not going to go offensive line uh, with that first, uh, first pick for them at number five. And – I still think yeah, defensively, Michael Parsons would make sense. I think they have they have good edge guys right now. I don't think they're desperate enough to, to try to go with a Gregory Rousseau. So, and their wide receivers are are pretty are pretty slim in what they want their guys to do. Like you have two big guys in Preston Williams and Devontae Parker, but you have no run after catch guys, and that's what Tua thrived on at Alabama was hitting his guys in open space and letting them run. 
and just hit, hitting guys in stride and letting them run really, really fast around everybody and you get those yards after catch. So I think a guy like a Jamar Chase or Jalen Waddle would be perfect for them with that, uh, that first pick at number five. I think it's interesting if the Dolphins didn't have this pick, right? Mm-hmm. And they had just one, they just had their first round pick in the draft, mm-hmm. right? And it would be what, 15, 16, kind of it's that like area. 14 right now. 14. Yeah. Now, would they have made the switch already? Because Ooh. if you didn't have this top five pick, now, now that you have this top five pick, now I think it's important to throw Tua out there, see how he does. Let's say he does good, right? Mm-hmm. And he has a really good end, second half of the season. And now the mm-hmm. Dolphins are like, okay, let's get him that wide receiver. That's going to make yeah. him better. Or he he's like, it's kind of like, eh. And you're like, okay, now we need to address the defense, right? You know what yeah. I'm trying to say? So I or, think these I mean, last eight games and how Tua performs dictates whether they go offense and de- or defense in this pick. I think if he lights it up, I think they're going to go – and let's say he lights it up and they just barely miss the playoffs and the defense is okay. I think yeah. they're like, okay, let's get him that receiver and let's yeah. make this like a dynamic offense now with Tua mm-hmm. and the the kid that you just – Jamar Chase or Jalen yeah, Waddle. Yeah. Yeah. So let's get him. Let's have that dynamic duo. Or if like the defense gets destroyed this last eight games, then they go defense. Like I think mm-hmm. the last, I think this is such a to be determined pick for the Dolphins based on how Tua plays and how they play as a whole as a team. Yeah, I mean you, that, that's an absolutely perfect point. And then obviously, I mean I'll say it, but what if he what if he gets hurt? Yeah, and then you need then at least you have that potential top seven ish kind of pick to get a quarterback. Again, you you have to kind of be prepared for for all options here. Like, I, they would break my heart if it happened, but at least now you know that hey, he got hurt or whatever. Then you need to get another quarterback because Fitzpatrick mm-hmm. isn't coming back next year. So definitely all things that need to be considered. And you make you make a great point there. Like hey, listen, if you need if you're like that one dynamic offensive weapon away from maybe being a legit uh, division winner, you get that guy. If your defense is still kind of blowing you games like it is with the Falcons, then you go get that that middle linebacker and like a Micah Parsons. But I think that's a great point saying how the Texans kind of how their their season's going, how bad it's going for them is almost dictating what the Dolphins do because they see where that draft pick can kind of end up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and like let's say they have these two picks and they get the fourth overall pick with the Texans, right? But mm-hmm. they kept Fitzpatrick the entire time. Yeah. Right. Now you have that fourth pick. Let's take. Let's say you take the wide receiver, but you don't know what Tua is yet. Yeah. So why would you take the wide receiver if you don't know if Tua is the guy yet? You don't know how he's played in the NFL. So now that mm. he's going to have this nine-game stretch, you're going to see whether or not it's worth, at least in this draft, getting mm. that receiver. So yeah. I think that's a big reason why the Dolphins made this decision to kind of decide whether or not offensive weapons it's it, they're ready as an organization to surround to it with offensive weapons i think they're trying to kind of speed up or fast forward this rebuild process by this mm. eight game and we talked about this last week with Tua, kind of maybe sacrificing the playoffs this year to yeah. see if they can become this juggernaut team with that big wide receiver next year and i think that's why they want to see what Tua can do now I, i'm 100 with you so that's just about it. Do we have any more questions or is that it? No, nope, that, that's everything. All right. So two a time on Sunday. How excited yeah. on a scale of one to 10 are we? 
so again, obviously you're you're always you're nervous for him because I've invested so much, whether it be money in his in his cards or it be just. Do you feel endless... like his like parent, like as a how nervous? Oh my you god! Are? I I again when he got when he got told that he was going to be the starter, I had probably thirty text messages from all our friends and stuff like that. Like you would have thought that Tua was my child, or or, <laughs> or that or that I was Tua himself. Like people realize how invested me and my brothers and my family are in him. And again, like this is this is my grave. I I have been banging the table on Tua forever. So if he sucks or if he gets hurt, I'm gonna be wearing that for probably the rest of my life. Oh, but if he does terrible. well, if he does well, all my friends better damn well know that I am coming for them. And they will not hear the end of it. And God bless them if the Dolphins somehow within the next few years, whatever, win a Super Bowl and two is at, at the quarterback position. They probably won't be friends with me anymore. That's how much. No, I, I'm, I'm, I'm afraid of what you might do. You'll fly I'm down so to Miami right. and you'll just, you'll just jump into the pile. But we'll um, get they play we'll the Rams. Mm-hmm. That's a little nervous with uh, the yeah, defensive I mean, line that they have. Um, throwing Donald's him right it. into the fire against a very good team. Mm-hmm. So, but I think that's good. I think you don't. I, there's been, there's pros and cons to both putting him against a bad team and putting him against a good team. But mm-hmm. you know. Why not see, see what yeah. they can do against what he can do it against elite defense? And if he lights it up, you know, all that's all great. Everything's yeah. looking perfect. But if he does bad, it's the Rams defense. It's Aaron Donald. Like it's supposed Listen, to be bad. It, it, you, 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 again, like we keep talking about, they're, they're, they're rookies. They're going to make some rookie mistakes. And you just want to see, all right, say he has a bad game, say three, four interceptions, whatever it is. Does he learn from it for his next game? Is is this basically last eight games, whatever it is, nine games, going to propel them to continuous and sustained success in year two and three and four? And if that means sacrificing eight games in the 2020 season, I can live with that because I just sacrificed a whole year of my life last year when we knew we were going to suck. So what's an extra basically nine games if it means the quarterback can now learn, potentially learn and get better? So yep. I'm not going to be too, too result driven. Like obviously you want to see him win and you want to see him do well, no doubt. But if he makes say an, a bad interception, how is he going to do the next drive? That's what I want to see. Is he going to come back and, and then learn from his mistakes? So that's what I'm looking for. Um, all eyes are going to be on that game. I think that's going to be one of the most like highly publicized games of the week. Good, mm-hmm. good week of games, the giants and um, bucks on Monday night. Um, mm-hmm. the battle for the NFC East on Sunday night football, uh, what a national televised game that's going to be between the Eagles and Cowboys. Um, it's getting to that point in the season where you start looking at the standings and you like, you start yeah. looking at the wild card and who's going to play who and who's making the playoffs and who's making a push. So it's amazing how fast the, the, uh, NFL season goes. We're already mm-hmm. halfway through once this week's yeah. over, it's going to be halfway point. So going to be interesting to see. So that'll just about do it for this episode. Um, next episode, we will talk to a probably the entire time. <laughs> Hopefully it's a good thing. <laughs> we will, we will see, um, for Matt Ferrar, my name is Glenn Deneers. Thank you so much for watching and we'll see you next week.